This podcast is made possible by our supporters over on Patreon. If you'd like to support the show and get your own RSS feed with ad-free shows and extra episodes every month, then head over to patreon.com slash nerdcaveretro. We are back for another edition of the Nerd Cave Retro Show. My name is Jason Robbins. And my name is Derek Diamond. And I am wearing my glasses this evening because I'm officially an old man who can't see anything anymore. I was about to say, we've got the matching brick background for those that are watching on YouTube. We're both wearing glasses. What would you do if I logged on the Zoom call and I had the exact same setup as you, down to (laughs) the Pac-Man thing you've got in the background, the Darth Vader statue? What if at the same time you did that, I went and got a Sonic poster and a Zelda poster? <laughs> Just trade uh, you'd, have, you'd have to introduce yourself as, as Derek Diamond, and I introduced myself as Jason Rock. That wouldn't confuse anybody at all. No, we should do that one, one, one show here. Let's just completely swap backgrounds. Yeah. We'll, we'll just ship each other um, our stuff. <laughs> So how was your Halloween? Halloween was last week. It's already been a week. That's crazy. Um, It was pretty good. I went to visit the family, uh, took my nephews um, and our niece uh, trick-or-treating, which was was pretty fun. It was a pretty, um, that pretty low-key Halloween. Um, Got back home like 8.30, 9-ish, so it wasn't out too terribly late, but it was pretty good Halloween. Yeah, we didn't, get, we didn't get any trick-or-treaters, but uh, I did carve my pumpkin, and he was supposed to be Michael Myers, but he came out a little more like Michael Jackson, but it still works either way, so I was happy with it. Michael Jackson Myers. Yeah, so if you want to go check it out, it's still on my uh, Twitter or an Instagram, at JFunktastic, if you want to see my Michael Myers slash Jackson pumpkin that I did this year. I, I still liked it. I yeah. think you did a really good job with it. But uh, not sure what I'll do next year. Last year I did uh, Nightmare Before Christmas. This year was I bought the Halloween 2 booklet from uh, Spirit to do pumpkins. I don't know what I'll do next year. We'll see. Yeah, I think I'll give the pumpkin carving a try next year. I So I've I've tried carving a pumpkin once, and it ended miserably <laughs> so i took the cheap way out and i created a stencil and spray painted my yeah. pumpkin instead that's not bad i mean I, next year i'm getting a i'm gonna get one of the the battery powered uh carving knives for the for pumpkins i don't mm-hmm. think they're that expensive they're maybe like 15 20 bucks i'm gonna get that it'll make life so much easier to carve pumpkins with oh for sure and uh, greetings in the chat room, Rampage and Farliston. He says I do. Says he ha- sees my Misfits mask on the back, and he said he's teaching himself how to play Helena on guitar right now. And uh, yeah, I'm a huge, huge Misfits fan. Been listening to them since I was a kid. And um, this is the time of the year that I enjoy listening to the Misfits. So I've been having Misfits on uh, repeat for the last couple of weeks because it's just that season. It's the Misfits season. 
I'm glad I'm not the only one that listens to certain artists or songs at certain times of year. Because I, I think it is appropriate. Yeah, I do that. Like especially this time of the year. This time of the year is more uh, misfits, Coheed Cambria, Co- Coheed and Cambria type of type of music for for the for the fall. And then winter, I try to uh, avoid Christmas music at all costs, except for the the Vince Guaraldi trio for the uh, the the Snoopy and Charlie Brown Christmas album. Now that I'll rock. If you hate that song, then <laughs> you have no. I, I don't need you in my life. There's something about that, uh, the specific song that you're talking about. It's just so calming. Yeah, you said that nice chill piano. Like it's it's it feels right to have it on, like in your house or your apartment. Yeah, you know, just to kind of set the mood. I saw the uh, the album of it the other day at Barnes and Noble. I, I wanted to get it, but. The, Records are expensive now, man. They're like out of mm-hmm. my price range. That thing was like forty bucks for for the record. And I was like, no, I can't. I can't justify that right now. Yeah, I don't think I've bought a record since before COVID. Was, we we've got a local record store here in town, and they usually have good stuff. But like everything else, Everything's price has expensive. just gone up, and Too can't expensive. can't really can't really afford it right now. Yeah, me neither. But uh, but we got a lot to talk about tonight. You ready to jump into the news? I did want to say one more thing that's actually some very exciting news. No, you may not. <laughs> okay. No, go ahead. Uh, the picture edit for the feature is done. Sweet. So you got uh, the picture edit done, so that means uh, who you got doing uh, the soundtrack for it? Uh, Emily Varley, who did the the score for the Parker Syndrome, is going to be doing the score for this. Um, awesome. It's sent off to um, to get color corrected, mm-hmm. and then um, I've still got to do the sound edit, which I'm not looking forward to because yeah. it's it's very <laughs> meticulous and mm-hmm. quite frankly boring at times. Yeah. But um, I I've got some preliminary premiere information, but I'll save that for the end of the show because I know we, we got will, a lot to talk about. We will keep everybody informed for when the premiere happens because that'll be a fun night. Yeah. And uh, Rampage says that his girlfriend Jess wants us to know that she likes Coheed and Cambria, by the way. Good woman right there. Yep. Coheed and Cambria yep. is awesome. But <laughs> it is time to move into the news. Some of today's stories were submitted to us by Daniel Salmon and Armez Jackson. And if you have a story you'd like us to cover... Send them to nerdcaveretro at gmail.com. And the first story tonight is uh, uh, Daniel Salmon sent this story, but his link didn't work. So I had to get this from Forbes.com. The Bayonetta voice actress admits she was not offered only $4,000 for the new game. Uh, The dam has broken on the already messy Bayonetta 3 story in which the game's original voice actress, Helena Taylor, claimed she was offered only $4,000 to reprise the role for the game. She says she declined, and ultimately the role went to a new actress, Jennifer Hale. That sounded shockingly low to everyone who heard it, and most of the industry, fans and fellow performers alike, rallied to Taylor's side. However, she now admits that she was not offered just $4,000. Rather, she was offered at first $10,000, then when she balked another $5,000. Later, after she declined, she was later offered a cameo role for $4,000. So, and this is a little bit different from what I heard. There's other reports as well that she was offered $4,000 a session for five sessions. So that's a little bit different than what's, what's being said here. Either way... I, I'm 
I don't think she should have went this route with it <laughs> because you don't, I don't know, this was rocking the boat way too much from, from my taste. I do think that it was a little too low. Even $20,000 seems low, especially for a franchise that makes millions. At least give her points on the back end or some sort of percentage of the gross or whatever because she is or was the voice of that character. And I think she probably could have negotiated that. But, I mean, did she even try to negotiate that with with a representative or... Did she just straight up like just I don't know just crap? Maybe she on was everything. so insulted by it that she's like, no, yeah, I'm good. I mean, maybe. I mean, I would I would think twenty thousand dollars up front would be okay to do the voice, but you know, like I said, go for like some sort of percentage or something. Yeah, and I I agree with you. I, I think you know when I first read the story, you know, my first thought was like that's insulting yeah. to only be offered $4,000, but I I don't think that this was really handled in the way that it should have been. No. Which, which, is, which is a shame, you know, anytime that, you know, a, a voice actor or an actor gets replaced due to money and, you know, there's other foreseen circumstances too, but more often than not, it's usually money. I mean, you can look back at the early days of the MCU when Terrence Howard wanted to be paid as much as Robert Downey Jr. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So there's, there's an example of you try to negotiate too much and then <laughs> yeah. the studio is like, hey, you know what, we'll find somebody else. So, yeah, exactly. But I, I, I think it sounds like she should have maybe tried to you know, play ball a little bit more yeah. to try and get a reasonable rate. I think on both sides should have played ball a little bit more. She should have... Gotten representation to uh, to to negotiate the contract. They should have come back with a little bit more than than twenty grand altogether for the voicing because it is. It does say here it is a that that um, franchise has made over four hundred and fifty million dollars, so they can afford to give her a little bit more than twenty thousand dollars for part three of a voice she's done since the beginning. Yeah, and that's where I'm. I'm kind of like the, the studio should be a little smarter about but I, that. I also don't like uh, like the way if you followed the story at all, she uh, she went online and called for a boycott of the game, and also she started uh, talking about the new voice actress who had nothing to do with that is just doing a job, and you take her down, try to take her down too, like that's. That's not cool. Yeah, and, and I get there's no innocent party on either side, but I, I can't condone attacking somebody that like because the the new voice actor she's just doing a job. You yeah. know, she's trying to you know she's doing the the same thing the original voice actor is doing. Yeah, she's got rent to pay too. So yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah. That if somebody there, came to me and offered me you know part 3 for i don't know some video game franchise and said the original person can't do it like yeah i'm going to take the job or you well yeah what? i do the exact same thing there's a saying on a podcast i heard years ago and it's very true you don't justify bad behavior with other bad behavior mm-hmm. just because you felt like you were wronged and probably rightfully so but that doesn't give you the right to attack other people, especially those that had nothing to do with your situation. Especially other voice actors. Yeah, 
because people may not realize it, but the act, the film and acting industry is quite small. Mm -hmm. So, and the fact that she made that public, she's going to have to eat a little crow for a while. I think. I don't think she's going to be working in the, in the voice acting uh, game anytime soon. (laughs) I don't think anybody is going to hire for anything. I wouldn't. I wouldn't either. Personally, honestly, but yeah. uh, I mean, like I said, it's not all her fault. It's it's the company's fault too. Yeah. They they the, sh- the whole story is a shame. Like yeah. it, it's something that should not have happened. It's just bad juju all around, all around this whole thing. Bad bad vibes. Yep. Our next story comes to us from PCGamer.com. Saucy lost Sega FMV game from the 90s is found. I like that word, saucy. Saucy. <laughs> uh, a long-lost and big-budget Sega Saturn game has been unearthed, and it's a slice of saucy, there it is again, it history is. from the 90s console <laughs> wars. Sacred Pools was a game in development by Sega Soft, an American studio. It was one of those FMV titles that accumulated around the early stages of CD-ROM technology. The appropriately named website Gaming Alexandria has managed to secure several CD-ROMs of this never-released project from former SegaSoft employee David Gray. Alpha builds for the game on Saturn, PC, and surprisingly, PlayStation have now been uploaded online. A PlayStation port may have been down to Sega's lousy fortunes with Saturn. It was always up against it when Sony arrived on scene and had been fairly undercut at 95's E3 when PlayStation was announced to retail at $299, which was $100 cheaper than the Saturn. Anyway, the game itself, it's set on the island of Amazonia, where various puzzles and several scantily clad ladies <laughs> await you. It was also known as Rebellion in Amazonia and had, had an, at the time, huge budget of between 2 to $3 million. Wow. That's a lot uh, of money. Mainly because it required then. so much live footage. The game's selling point, was going to be more the suggestion of, of course you would give me this story, uh, erotic (laughs) delights than anything overtly sexual. So it says here there was no nudity, although the costumes did get a bit racy. I mean, it's like, it's like that old saying sex sells. Yeah. But Uh, I mean, I, I didn't get to watch this video, but how bad could it have been? I was kind of afraid to watch it. (laughs) I'm not going to (laughs) lie. I mean, Congress went crazy over uh, Night yeah. Trap, so like, how bad could this have been? Yeah, true. It's probably something that, like, you look at what's on network TV now, and you're like, yeah. how do they get away with that? Like, I don't, anybody listening to this that doesn't remember the 90s and the whole hubbub over Night Trap and, you know, how Congress went after video games... And like you go back and look and play Night Trap now, and it's so lame. Yeah, I I don't know. I'm sure it's probably nothing major now that I look at it. But I'm surprised that a game like this and and correct me if I'm wrong, but we talk about how these games become rediscovered years after they've been made. Mm. I don't think we've really talked about one that almost has like a a neurotic or a sexual theme to it. Well, I'm sure there were games at the time, but they yeah. weren't, you know, massively known about. I'm sure PC had a lot of, you know, quote unquote saucy games as they like to say in this article. We're, we should call ourselves the sauciest retro gaming <laughs> podcast on the internet. 
And uh, 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 Farliston said in the chat room, Derek, you see the new Sonic game came out. Yep, I was just about to acknowledge that. Yeah, Sonic Frontiers. Going to be picking it up this week. Nice. Awesome. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little more excited than I was. You know how I've been saying I've been cautiously optimistic about mm. it. Because I don't know how the whole open world thing is going to be. But the last couple of trailers I've watched, I have a little bit more faith in it. So... I'll be uh I'll give everybody kind of my pr- preliminary thoughts on it uh for next week's show. Awesome. Uh this next story is from nintendolife.com. Arcade Paradise DLC brings more cabinets to the floor from today. Um for just 3.99, you can pick up the Coin Op Pack number 1, which allows you to get three brand new arcade cabinets for your flourishing arcade. And don't forget, you can play the games in the game, too, titled Empathy, Smoke'em, and Cyberdank's Euromix. Um, let's see. Empathy is time to grasp the handles and ascend the mountain whilst avoiding being hit by rocks from unbelievers. Wow. <laughs> That's weird. Uh, Smoke'em, aim, fire, and reload. It's time to test your sharp shooting skills against a clock in this supremely fun high-scoring two-player shooting range. And then Cyberdance Euromix, if your name's not down, you're not coming in. Luckily for you, it is Cyberdance Euromix is the rave-focused follow-up to Arcade Paradise's smash hit dancing sensation, Cyberdance, with updated graphics and next-generation widescreen technology. I have never heard of any of these, and I'm probably not going to be playing those. I think it would have been a little cooler if Smoke'em was titled Smoke'em if you got them. Yeah, I like that. This yeah. empathy sounds weird. Like, want to be like you got avoiding being hit by rocks from unbelievers. Unbelievers, like, what does that mean? Un- unbelievers in what? In of what? Yeah. Uh, this, it, it, oh, makes, it makes it sound like this is a like a religious themed game, and you're playing against like the first atheists or agnostics. It's the first thing I thought of. It says the longer you survive, the more points you score. Forsake loneliness, feel togetherness, ascend. How high can you go? What? We have to play this game. <laughs> we might have to review this. It yeah. sounds so weird. The it sounds just weird enough to where I'm intrigued enough to play it. <laughs> well, it's, this it's, is such a random combination <laughs> of games. Like the, they don't go together at all. I know it's it's so weird. I, 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 I we have empathy, we have smoking, and we have dancing. Maybe yeah, they go I, together. I don't know. Yeah, I, I I don't have Arcade Paradise, so I don't I don't I know it's uh, it says it's the management sim that lets you run an arcade inside of Washateria. I mean, we've talked about this before, I believe. Yeah. I think we did, but uh, but yeah, I mean, it sounds cool, but I don't know. I I don't think I'm gonna be sitting there playing, you know, Smoke'em or Cyberdance Euro Mix anytime soon. Uh, so no upcoming review of Smoke'em. I don't even want to go to Washateria in real life. Why would I want to do it in a virtual space? <laughs> uh, you got me there. Our last story comes to us from NintendoEverything.com. Elevator Action Returns S-Tribute Confirmed for Switch. Elevator Action Returns S-Tribute is headed to the Switch on December 1st of this year. Taito originally developed Elevator Action Returns in 95. 
though Bing came out with a console version in 97, which is what the upcoming release is based on. It's a 2D side-scrolling shooter in which players look to take down a terrorist group by eliminating nuclear bombs that they've placed. Expect various features for the S-Tribute version, including Rewind, which is actually a really cool feature for a lot of retro games Mm -hmm. that have been kind of updated with modern settings. It's actually a really, really cool feature. I never even knew they made a sequel to Elevator Action. I mean, I played Elevator Action in the arcades when I was a kid. I had no idea they made a sequel. Yeah, I didn't either. So it's cool that... You know, it's getting a, a re-release on the Switch. I might have to try this, because I liked Elevator Action when I was a kid. I, I I might have to try this out. Yeah, I think you should. Let's see, the, the option settings only available in S-Tribute include Rewind, which we mentioned, uh, Slow Mode, which you can slow the game pace down with a single press, uh, single press of a button, Quick Save and Load, Unlimited Credits, Stage select, which means you can start from any stage of the game. Increased healing, uh, you have up to nine lives. Sub-weapon buttons, and you can change the amount of damage you'll get when the enemy hits you. That's interesting. Sounds a lot like what they did with Mega Man 11. Like, a lot of these features are in Mega Man 11. Yeah. That's pretty cool, though. Yeah, I like it. I might have to give this a try. Does this have a... uh... Does this have a price anywhere yet? No, it, it does, does not. not. It can't be more than a couple bucks. So when this drops, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna make a note of this to go get it when it comes out. Might have to yeah, do I'm a pulling, review of it. I'm pulling up the the official website, and there is not a price. Well, <laughs> um, yeah, I'll just I'll just keep an eye on it, and when it drops, I'll I'll get a copy of it and might do a. Yeah, it'll a be out in a couple of, of weeks. Awesome. But uh, now it is time for... It is time to go into this month in video game history. In November of 1982, Atari renames the venerable Atari video computer system to the Atari 2600. I can't imagine calling the Atari... The Atari video computer system. Yeah, that's just way too long. I like yeah, the, the 26... 2600 just slides off the, the tongue. Yeah, you don't want to have too many words when it comes to your console names. Uh, yeah, I mean, but... maybe you could have called it the, the VCS, but still 2600 just sounds better. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, that's what it was it's still kind of known as these days, the VCS, but... Eh, I don't know. I like the 2600, then you go to the 5200, then the 7800, which those weren't very good, but, you know. Yeah. November of 1986, Sega releases Alex Kidd in Miracle World, which is the first game in the Alex Kidd series created for this character and the most popular of all Alex Kidd games. I was not a fan. I've heard very mixed things about it. I've never played Alex Kidd. It looks like one of those, you know, like platforming Mario knockoffs that yeah. isn't very good. Well, I think I did a review of the one that's on the Genesis. I believe um, you did, yes. And I did not like that game at all. <laughs> and I know they were what they were trying to go for, but it's just too much weirdness in that game. And I like platformers, don't get me wrong, but that doesn't necessarily mean I like every platform. And I don't like having, just... having to do rock, paper, scissors for boss fights. No. No, that's that's not fun gameplay. Mm-mm. 
November 11th of 1993, Virgin Games releases Disney's Aladdin for the Sega Genesis. It was crowned Genesis Game of the Year at the E. EGA or the Electronic Gaming Awards, or aka the Arcade Awards, aka the Arkies. <laughs> Never heard of that. Voted on by the I public. I haven't either. I do like that name though, the Arkies. The Arkies. It's pretty catchy. So yeah, I, I would like to review if I I don't think I have already, but I'd like to review the Genesis version of this game because it's different than the Super Nintendo one. Mm-hmm. And I've heard the Genesis version is vastly superior. So at some point, I would like to play this game. I could have sworn you reviewed uh, Aladdin before. Am I? It may have been for the Super Nintendo. Probably. But let let me... Here, I'll look and see. Because that was I'll always the thing, is everybody, even to this day, everybody says the Genesis version was way better than the Super Nintendo version. Mm-hmm. Which is weird, because you would have these games come out, and it would be two completely different games between the Genesis and the Super Nintendo. I reviewed the Super Nintendo version. Okay, I I thought you did. Because July twenty fourth, twenty nineteen. Because you can look at like the Beavis and Butthead games and things like that. Um, completely different games on the two systems, mm-hmm. and that's so weird yep. to me. Yeah, I don't understand it, but I, I'll I'll track down a copy of Disney's Aladdin and review it at some point. Intellectual property was weird in the nineties, <laughs> just a little bit. Uh, let's see, November 21st, 1998, a little-known game called The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time is released for the Nintendo 64. In the United States, it received more than three times more pre-orders than any other game at the time <laughs> and became the best-selling game of 1998. I don't remember that, but I imagine that's true. I remember what blew my mind about this game more than anything was I, I religiously looked at IGN's reviews back in the day. Mm. And I would base a lot of my purchases on what they would say. Now, obviously, I'm going to buy a Zelda game regardless because I'm a fan. But they gave Ocarina of Time a perfect 10. Which, if I remember right, was the first time they had ever done that for a game. I think I remember you talking about that before. So, in Ocarina of Time, I haven't played it in in a couple of years, but it, it's still to this day, you know, one of my favorite Zelda games. Like it's that and link to the past or one a and one B yeah. for me, you know, it's some of the, like the graphics obviously haven't aged well, but they did improve that with the 3ds version mm. that they released uh, several years ago. I wish they would do a console like remaster of it. Mm. I think it would sell incredibly well. I wish they would because I never played it originally for the N64. I didn't play it till a couple of years ago when I got an N64 again after not having one for 20 years. Um, and because my brother found it for me and sent and sent it to me, and he sent me Ocarina of Time with it. I think he got it at a uh, not a yard sale, but like a um, uh, what do they call that when? people pass away and they uh estate, oh, sale. estate sale yeah i think he got it in a, at an estate sale and uh, he sent it to me and i started playing it i think i got maybe three or four hours into it and i just could not get over the controller and that's still my problem with the n64 it's so hard for me to go back and play that games on that console because that controller is just awful We'd have a while to wait, but they should do a full remaster of it in 2028 for the 30-year anniversary. 
If they do, I'll I'll they have one sold for me if they redo it. I just uh, people forget, you know, that that maybe didn't grow up at the time, like how big that game was. Like Link to the Past was big, but Ocarina of Time was even bigger, in my opinion, as far as like the hype, mm-hmm. the expectations, the sales. It, it was a really big game at the time, and it was you know, the game I was looking forward to the most when the N64 came out. Like, I don't get me wrong, I love Mario 64. It was a really fun game. But what I was waiting for was the first foray of Zelda into mm-hmm. the realm of 3D. Well, you know, we're in the era of remakes, but that still doesn't give me, <laughs> doesn't give me confidence that Nintendo will do anything with it. They're sitting on free money. Yeah. Because people, I really, I truly believe it would sell really well. Oh, yeah, I have for no people doubt. that grew up playing it, and if they want to play a, imagine Ocarina of Time with like Breath of the Wild style graphics. Yeah, I think it'd be sick. I think, I think Nintendo really cool. just has so much money in their Scrooge McDuck uh, silo that they don't care what we want. They're just gonna do what they want to do, and we'll still pay them top dollar. For whatever they throw at us, because yes, fact checker Wally, I I am a Nintendo fanboy, and I will give them money no matter what. <laughs> oh, Twitter's gonna be fun tomorrow. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see, we're almost done here. November eighth of two thousand, Eurocom releases Crash Bash for the PlayStation. It's the first game in the series not to be developed by Naughty Dog, as well as the last last. This is hard to say. As well as the last Crash Bandicoot game to be exclusively released on a Sony console. I I do not remember Crash Bash. It was uh, Sony's attempt at recreating the success of Mario Party. Kind of figured that. With the Crash. And this game, from what I remember, was pretty bad. Hmm. There was a Sonic version, too, for the Dreamcast called Sonic Shuffle that was really bad, too. Hmm. Whenever I feel like reviewing just a really horrible game and putting myself through torture <laughs> for our listeners, I'll review Crash Bash or Sonic Shuffle because right. I do not have very good memories when it comes to those games. I don't want to play anything bad for a while, so I'm going to stick with good games for a bit. Understandable. And finally, November 15th of 2001, the Microsoft Xbox is released in North America. The hype for this thing was huge. We were talking about hype for Ocarina of Time, the hype for the Xbox, because that, that was such a game changer with Microsoft first getting into the, the console gaming wars. And then when Halo coming out and that mm. just, it changed everything. I remember seeing the first time I ever saw the Xbox, there was a store display in Walmart and they had Halo was, uh, some people were playing Halo on it and... I just remember being like, what the hell is that? And I wanted an Xbox so bad, but I couldn't afford it at the time. And I don't know if I ever told you guys how I got my original Xbox, but I think I did tell it on here. It was actually uh, Todd Harrell's from Three Doors Down because this was at the, around the time that they were um, they were being endorsed by Xbox or Microsoft. or uh, It might have been Microsoft or something like that. And uh, I went over to his house, and he had, like, four of them just sitting there on the floor. Like, four brand-new Xboxes. And he's like, I was like, dude, how, they just give you these? He's like, yeah. I was like, huh. 
the rich keep getting richer. Like, people just send rich people shit <laughs> when they can afford it. And he was like, you want one? I was like, yeah, I want one. So I got to take it. I got to take it home. That's how I got my Xbox. I got one for free because I had a rich friend. <laughs> That's awesome. You think Joey Image has four Xboxes? Uh, probably. He's got like four of everything. <laughs> Uh, Farliston, I was in a band called uh, Fall as well, and Todd Harrell was basically my boss at the time because he got assigned to Universal Records, and then when Universal dropped us, he made his own record label called Imprint Records, which we were on until it got driven into the ground <laughs> by not by us. <laughs> but uh, I don't want to talk about that. Let's go ahead and go into Patreon shoutouts before we go into the review tonight. As always, we'd like to shout out our awesome patrons over at patreon.com slash nerdcaveretro. We want to shout out Daniel Salmon, Tyler Watson, Axblade07, Armez Jackson, Carlos Longoria, a.k.a. I am the Rampage! Rampage! <laughs> Steph Sergeant Sketch, Gus and Penny, Matthew Salmon, Mike Eveland, Jack Eveland, Joey Image, and Donna Diamond, thank you all so much for your continued contributions and keeping the lights on for us here at the Nerd Cave Retro Show. And if you want to be a part of our awesome Patreon community, you get early access to fun commentary tracks that happen every single month on this show. Everything from live action shows to animated shows mm -hmm. like Darkwing Duck, Gargoyles, uh, the real Ghostbusters, Chippendale Rescue Rangers. We've also done full movies like Clue, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, Transformers the Movie. The the catalog is near endless, but still growing. You know, I think uh, for so this month, we need to do a commentary track of Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. I mean, that is one of my favorite holiday movies of Mine all time. Mine too. I love that movie. It's, it's so underrated. I like no one, hardly anyone I know ever talks about it. It's the best but acting. I, that... I watch it every Thanksgiving. Yeah, me too. I mean, it's the best acting that John Candy ever did. Yeah, and the dynamic between him and Steve Martin was so great. So good. I, I dare say that's that was some of the best chemistry Steve Martin's ever had with anybody in his oh, entire yeah. career. Agreed. And that's saying a lot because Steve Martin's been in a lot of great stuff. Mm -hmm. But no, that's that's a great idea. But yeah, if you want to be a part of our awesome Patreon community, just head over to patreon.com slash nerdcaveretro. And for new patrons, be sure to send us your social media information, whether it's Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, so we can give you a proper shout out. Are you a coffee lover? Do you sometimes need that little extra boost for some all-night gaming sessions? Well, you should head over to brezcoffeeco.com. They have so many different flavors of coffee. Doesn't matter what type of coffee you like. They got you covered. Try the Good For Gaming Roast, or the Two Hardies One Ship, which is a rum and dark chocolate flavored roast. Not to mention, they keep their seasonal flavors all year long, like the Fall Spice or the Sweet Tooth. They can even add flavors to your coffee. So whatever you need, head over to brezcoffeeco.com and use the code NCR for 10% off of your order. And tonight, I'm going to be talking about... Had 
so really catchy. Good. Uh, Robo Warrior is a spinoff of Hudson Sauce Bomberman series. In fact, after obtaining the publishing rights in America and Europe, Jalico, I guess I pronounced that right. We've done a few Jalico games. Jalico, Jalico, or however you pronounce it. Changed I the personally name. like Jalico. Yeah, I like Jalico. Uh, changed the name of this game from Bomber King to Robo Warrior. If you're familiar with the Bomberman series, you will understand what this game entails. And let me jump over to the Wikipedia. Uh, it takes place on an alien planet called Altiel, which was created by a scientist as a solution to the overpopulation problem of Earth. During a peaceful period on Altiel, robo-warriors are decommissioned from Earth, and the Xantho Empire invades Altiel and try to transform it for personal gain. You operate a cyborg named Zed, a Z-type Earth defense. In the game, he raids Altiel to fight the Xanthro Empire and destroy its leader, Zur. So that's your plot here for the game. And as soon as I turn the game on, you know, it's got that cool music, like the music I just played. Um, it, and it's one of those games that's got a lot of, of tracks for it, too. It's not one of those games that's like the same track through the, throughout the game. It's like each stage has its own... Uh, its own own music to it, and even the boss battles have their own d- distinct music. Um, and so when you drop down, you the, there's a nice little opening cinematic where you see the ship flying towards this planet, and then it lands. You jump out and you start instantly collecting power ups, which I love about this game. There's so many power ups in this game to where I had to look it up. The actual uh, online, I had to look up the uh, the manual so I could figure out what each one of the, the power-ups did. I mean, there's like 15 different power-ups in this game. Everything from, uh, you, you get candles and um, uh, lanterns that you have to find because there's a lot of underground p- spaces you go to, like underground caves, and you get a lot of power-ups in the caves, and that's where you're going to use your candles and stuff like that and you get your power-ups by not only killing enemies but it's based on Bomberman so you're going through and you have like trees and rocks and walls and things in your way and you're just blowing everything up with with bombs and power-ups you know are hidden in bushes and and trees and enemies and all that kind of stuff yeah, and the the gameplay, you know, from what I watched of it, it, it looks like a lot of fun to me in the sense that yeah, I I like Bomberman. I didn't really grow up with it, other than the the spinoff that uh, Nintendo did with Wario, uh, which I believe I reviewed that game a while back on the show too. But the concept of it is just so simple. I am surprised that you get that many power ups because you. I remember in Wario Blast, you only got like four or five, maybe, maybe a couple mm. of more, but well, in this game, I mean, that, that's get, quite a bit. You get stuff like missiles to where you can, uh, stand on one side of the screen, shoot a missile and it'll just take everything out, you know, in one that's line cool. across the screen, things like that. Um, there's boots that make you run faster. All that kind of stuff is within the game. And, um, you know, it's, the thing about this, there is a weird mechanic to the game where you are a cybernetic organism. You are are a robot, and your power, your basically your battery is constantly being used up. So even if you don't do anything, your energy level keeps going down. So you have to find 
um, batteries to, to make it go back up. You have to find um, another of the power-ups you find are uh, energy uh, capsules where y- you can use one and it automatically refills everything back up. So you've got like, you start off with, with four battery cells and it just constantly goes down. It's almost like um, your energy cells in Metroid is how they kind of work. You know how you can uh, get more as you go through the game and each energy cell in Metroid e- equals like 99 whatever points or whatever. Uh, it's sort of the same concept, but it's constantly going down. So it's almost like you're on a timer to get through all this stuff, through the stages, try to find you know energy capsules and things of that nature to, to keep going. I like that though, that it adds that, that urgency where you just have to keep mm-hmm. moving like that. I, I really like that. And it's also reminds me a lot of Zelda because there's so many hidden things in the game, like hidden caves uh, where you, you know, of course you use the bomb to blow a hole in the wall and you go, you know, you go in and um, there are certain, and I did a walkthrough just to, so I could really understand the game. And there are places like blow a hole in the wall, you go through and there's these tiger statues and they're these, Caves are all over the game where you can go in and you blow up the statues and they give you um, power-ups that you wouldn't normally get where everywhere else in the game, like lanterns and things like that. Can lanterns last, you know, can illuminate the whole screen if you're in darkness while uh, candles only illuminate like right around you. Um, and, but sometimes you go into these caves and you go in and you have to do the the, the lion statues in a certain order because if you don't like say you do the wrong one first then that wipes out all of it and you don't get to get any power-ups from the room if you understand what i'm saying like if you do it in the wrong Mm -hmm. order you're crap out of luck that would take me a few a few tries to do that (laughs) but i yeah i noticed that on the gameplay i watched where you have this little area of light it's like the classic Nintendo Super Nintendo look when you go into a dark room Mm -hmm. where there's immediate light around you, but you can't really see anything beyond that. Yeah, and God forbid if you go into the underground caves or anywhere dark without candles or a lantern, because you will not find your way back out again. Makes me think of Zelda 2 before you get the candle and Mm -hmm. you go through these certain areas and like you can't see anything. Yeah. Because if you can't find the staircase to get out, you're basically just stuck unless you just somehow luckily run into the staircase to get out. Just walk around blindly. Pretty much. I mean, there's there were times like when I got to, I think it was level 2, 3, or 2, 2, something like that, 2, 3, where you go in and you had to have gotten the lantern from the 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 one of the hidden rooms bef- in the previous level because if you go to this level 2 2 or 2 3 whatever it was it's complete darkness and you you can't see what you're doing where you're going and i the first time i got there i'd gotten the lantern went in was going around the room and i accidentally died because i forgot to put on cuz you get oh one of the other power ups is life preserver so if you try to cross like a river without the life preserver on, you will sink. And so I walked into the river and I sank and died <laughs> in this room. And then it started the game. It said, continue. 
So I was like, okay, I'm just going to continue right where I left off. So I continue. I started back at the beginning of that level, the dark level, and I had no lantern, I guess. Oh, no. <laughs> no lantern, no uh, candles. And I was like, well, crap. <laughs> I guess I have to start over again because I can't see where I'm going. That's brutal. It is. It's a brutal game because it is unforgiving, but at the same time, it's really fun, and it's all about memorization and where you need to go and finding all the little secrets that help you get through the game as you go. And this is not a short game. It is, I was looking here, there are 27 levels in this game. And this is an early NES game, too. This was released... Um, in Japan, in, in August 7th of 87, it was released in North America in December of 88. So this was in that mid-tier of NES games. Uh, you know, you had the black box era from 84, 85 to 86. Then you had this middle era from 87 to 90, where all the you know most loved NES games reside. You know, this was Super Mario Bros. 2 and... Three and Castlevania, Castlevania Two, like Mega Man Two, like all those games was in this era, and I feel like this game should have been up there with those games, but for some reason, like this one just kind of fell through the cracks. At least for me, and I know there's a lot of people that love this game because there's a lot of uh, love for this game, especially on YouTube. Uh, I watched a couple of speed runs. And the speed runs take about 45 minutes to do. It's a long game for it to be an NES title. Yeah, normal playthrough averages between two and a half to three hours, which I feel like is pretty mm. long for an NES game. Yeah. But yeah, when I saw a speed run at 45 minutes, like, how does the speed run take 45 <laughs> minutes? I thought it was supposed to be like five. Yeah, exactly. And like the, the thing that really, like, and the thing that I, I texted you the other day, I don't think I've played a Jalico game that I didn't like so far. Yeah, no, they they've made some uh, some quality stuff. Uh, my what I was curious about to to ask you because you said before we went on the air that you spent a lot of time playing this game. Mm -hmm. What was it that kept drawing you to it and keeping you sucked into it? Just the game mechanics that's them, themselves, like the blowing up of the walls, trying to get through each level as you know as quickly as possible, but trying to it's just it's something about having to do games where memorization counts does something to to my brain. Like it makes because it's almost like a puzzle, and I love puzzle games, and it feels like a puzzle game. Like you have to remember. Where okay, well I go I go over here and there's a cave over here. You know, go through this underground spot, try to get as many energy tanks as I can. Okay, I have to get remember to get uh, go to this cave and get the uh, the 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 lantern. And then when I get to this this other part, okay, I gotta go do this. Okay, I gotta remember to do this and that. Like there's just there's it's like it's like a puzzle element to it that I just really like because it's there's more to it than just okay let's go to the right as fast as possible to get to the end of the level. It, there's a lot of strategy to this game. 
Yeah, I think that's what I would like about it too. From the gameplay I watched, is the you know, the puzzle aspect and having to think, you know, two or three moves ahead mm-hmm. of what you're going to do next. I really wish they would put this on the NES store for the uh, Switch Online because I looked for it just just to see if it was anywhere to be able to be played on the Switch, and there's not. And I I didn't think so. I mean, this is not your on everybody's top 10 lists, but it should be. It, it should be up there on the top best NES games because I really enjoyed my time playing this game. And this is definitely going into the I'm going to play this a lot moving forward category because there is more to it than just let's go to the right as fast as possible and get to the end of the level. Like There's a lot of strategy that goes into this game. I'm a little surprised on the Wikipedia page. We, we normally have, you know, reviews mm-hmm. and kind of the general overview of what a lot of magazines and companies thought of the game. Yeah. But that that's not on there. So I'd be really curious as to how praised this game was because it, it seems like it would be. I would think that this game has good enough game mechanics that you could do. It doesn't necessarily have to be this game, but you could be an indie developer and take these same game mechanics and make a new game that's based uh, on this same gameplay and have a really nice indie game, indie title that people would really like. Yeah, I think so too. But I really think they should put this on the NES online for the Switch. I really think it deserves to be there because there's a lot of other games in there that I really don't care for. And I don't think a lot of people do care for, but a game like this, I think a lot of people would be surprised at how how good this game is. Maybe one day Nintendo will randomly decide to put it on the store like they do with a lot of their other games they do. Or it's just like they don't really announce it. They're just like, oh, here's a couple of NES games. Here's an N64 game. And that's the thing. Like This game just feels like there was a lot of thought put into it and a lot of care. Because it doesn't feel slapped together. It doesn't feel like it's it's one of those games that just, oh, let's just put a game, you know, like LJN or something like that. Let's just slap something, you know, slap a label on it and put it out. felt like they really enjoyed what they were doing when they programmed this game. Like, it feels like it, this should have taken off as well as, like, Mega Man. Like, I feel like it, the, the programmers, if they were given a chance, they would have definitely been down to do like a part two put it on our list of games that should have gotten a sequel Mm -hmm. and it's not expensive either i picked this up at the flea market for like five bucks a couple of weeks ago i just uh, something about the 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 cover art really just grabbed me because it looks almost childish the way the the robot is drawn but there's something i don't know something really cool about it and kind of that weird 50s sci-fi retro feel about it it makes me think of like the box for an action figure it does like a weird like 1970s robot toy Mm -hmm. almost like it almost reminds me of like rom space night something like that yeah but yeah, if you run across this game or if you find a, a ROM of it to play online, I highly, highly suggest you play this game because it's really good and it's really well made. And I think it was way kind of he- ahead of its time 
as far as the the NES goes. I mean, for a game that came out in '88, you know, like this is like the the graphics are really good. The music's great. Like I said, there's different tracks. Each each level has a different track. The boss battles have their own separate tracks. Like there was a lot of care went into this game, and it deserves to be it deserves to be known and played. Yeah, from what you've been saying, I I would agree. But I mean, that's really all I have to say about it. And you know, like we said, there's there's really no metadata uh, on it, no Metacritic score or anything. I I just like I said, even as a kid, like I don't remember this game at all from when I was a kid. I don't really remember any advertisements for it or anything, or even seeing it to rent. And it just kind of fell in my lap a couple of weeks ago. I was like, man, this game's really good. But for me, I'll I have mean, to check it out sometime. Out of ten, I mean, this game's a solid, solid eight out of ten. It's not perfect, but it's pretty close to eight, being a perfect eight, NES game. Eight's eight's a good score. I mean, it is a little cryptic with what you have to do and and the stuff you got to find. But once you kind of get the idea of, it's sort of like Zelda. You know, like nobody knew that you could burn a bush and get you know, like stuff out of it. Like it's one of those mm-hmm. games that like it, it, it breeds exploration, you know, in the game. And that's what it's really all about. Yeah. But I like it. I like it a lot. And if you've never played it, I suggest finding a way to do it. Um, but that's all I have to say about it. Um, and, and uh, do you know what you're going to be reviewing next week? So next week is episode 299. Mm-hmm. at 300 eve if you will so i felt like we had to review something big i have never completed the combined sonic 3 and knuckles game i'm close to it mm-hmm. i will do it before next show and that's going to be what i review i'm going to get all the chaos emeralds all the super emeralds i'm going to 100 complete it before monday fantastic and, that, and that's going to be what i review awesome uh, and then, of course, you, like you said, the week after that is episode 300. And 300! We have a couple of guests coming on the show, and I will let everybody know we're going to be doing top five uh, video game soundtracks. So if you want to go ahead and start giving us those, uh, you, if you're in our Discord, we have our our top five uh, subcategory in there. You can go put those in. You can email them to us. You can send them to us on Twitter or um, Facebook, wherever you like. But you can get them to us before uh, what is that? The what? The twenty first. The twenty first. So you have till the twentieth to get us those uh, those top five video game soundtrack lists. And I look forward to seeing all of your lists coming in. That's gonna be really hard. I know. <laughs> I thought the last one every, seems like our top fives get harder every time. Like, man, so much good I, stuff. I, but usually with the top five list, I at least know what my top two or three are. With this, I don't. <laughs> like, I'd have to really just sit down and and think about it. Like, I don't know what my number one is. I don't know, but I, I do know that. Uh, man, I don't know. I don't want to say anything right now. There's stuff that's definitely going in my honorable mention because there are games like yeah. Red Dead Redemption, the original Red Dead Redemption, where the the soundtrack's great, but there's certain like songs in there that really, really just kind of grabbed me. 
Like when you're first uh, riding to Mexico and that song that's playing, like, oh man, that was just, that was so epic. I don't, I don't know if this would qualify because it's a collection of actual songs, but Grand Theft Auto Vice City would definitely be on my honorable mentions just because of the (laughs) greatness of the 80s music collection that they have. Yeah. This is going to be hard. So uh, that. I'm going to have to start working on it you now. you got a good two weeks to get to think about it and get them to us. So there you go. Crazy that we're already at 300 episodes. No, it doesn't feel like it. It, it. it feels like we just did 100. But it's like they say, time flies when you're having fun. So yes, next thing does. you know, we'll be at 600. Oh, man. <laughs> I think we will. I think so too, but that's like yeah. not inconceivable to think about at this point. Yeah. I mean, a lot of podcasts don't make it to 10 episodes, much less 300. But uh but we're about to head out the door. Is there anything you want to throw out there before we leave this evening? No, you just want to follow uh follow me on social media at D Diamond Film on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm going to be posting some daily content uh probably starting a little bit later on this week i'm kind of finalizing what i want to do as far as you know like some writing i'm going to do um, i'll post more behind the scene photos of the feature so on and so forth so you can just follow me there and uh just be on the lookout for what i'm going to do with that and uh go listen to last week's episode of open micers at open micers on twitter instagram we talked to uh our mutual friend mr jeremy branch about mm-hmm. his new Synthwave YouTube channel and uh, his uh, his other YouTube channel. Um, what was the name? Of it? I can't. The Pop Culture Nihilist. Yeah, the Pop Culture Nihilist. Which YouTube. is such a great name. <laughs> I know it's awesome. Uh, but yeah, we talked to him last week, and um, it was a really good episode. We talked about uh, horror movie soundtracks and all that kind of stuff. So if you're interested in all that, go check it out. He's he's such a Cool dude. I've known him for, what, eight, nine years now, ever since I started going to Pensacon. And we always talk about, man, we need to do some stuff together. And finally, finally, we got together and did a podcast. That's usually how it goes, though. Oh, like, we all, well, well, for years, we'll talk about doing something, and then it eventually happens. Yeah, his Synthwave channel is awesome. His YouTube stuff is great. So go check it out. Go check it out at Open Micers, Twitter, and Instagram. And I think that's it for tonight. Is that everything? I believe so. Well, let's get out of here. If you'd like to email us, email us at nerdcaveretro at gmail.com. You can go to nerdcaveretro.com. Now it takes you straight to our link tree, which sends you to Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, uh, and, of course, our merch shop, ncrmerch.com, where right now you can go get Thanksgiving the Revenge. This time it's personal t-shirt just in time for Thanksgiving or a mug or a wall hanging or a sticker or magnet, whatever you want. We got it there. NCRmerch.com. If you want to support the show, please head over to patreon.com slash nerdcaveretro. As little as a dollar a month keeps us going. And if you can't do that, please leave us a review wherever fine podcasts are given away for free. So Derek, please tell them what it's all about. May the way of the hero lead to the Triforce. Yes. Master Blaster runs by the town. You blow it!